1: Big stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Brackenridge. Weekdays 1230 to 3, 770
2: CHQR. 2021 has certainly started with a bang, hasn't it? Uh, No shortage uh, of matters to discuss in the program today. Let's get right to uh, the uh, announcement just moments ago from Premier Jason Kenney on his Facebook page. Now, we're going to delve into this whole holiday gate scandal or whatever it is we want to call it, because the anger is very real, the anger is very palpable, and the anger is very widespread. Understandably so, folks. And I know you want to weigh in on this 403-974-TALK is our number, 974-8255. So the premier held a press conference on Friday, January 1st. Unusual to see a premier hold a press conference on New Year's Day. And what made it weird is that he didn't really have a whole lot to say. Uh, You know, he expressed his disappointment in in some of his uh, MLAs and cabinet ministers and top staff for their decision to travel abroad over the holidays, but didn't feel they deserved to be punished. So he was kind of scolding them, but also defending them. And it was basically a news conference to announce really nothing. I think they've recognized that that was nowhere near enough to make this go away. The anger is only built... Over the uh, subsequent few days here, something had to give. And as mentioned, just four minutes ago, it did. Let me read to you what Premier Jason Kenney has posted on his Facebook page. Quote, Albertans have every right to expect that people in positions of public trust be held to a higher standard of conduct during the COVID-19 pandemic. Millions of Albertans have made real sacrifices over the past 10 months to help keep each other safe. They are right to be angry about people in positions of leadership vacationing outside of the country. Last Friday I took responsibility for not having been clear enough with members of the government caucus and others in position of leadership that they should not travel abroad. Over the weekend I have listened to Albertans who are sending a clear message that they want real consequences for these actions. That is why I've accepted the resignation of Municipal Affairs Minister Tracy Allard and have asked my Chief of Staff, Jamie Huckabay, to step down, which he has done. I've also accepted the resignation of MLA Jeremy Nixon as Parliamentary Secretary for Civil Society and MLA Jason Stefan from Treasury Board. They, as well as MLA's Tanya Fair, Pat Wren, and Tanya Yao, have lost their Legislature Committee responsibilities. By traveling abroad over the holidays, these individuals demonstrated extremely poor judgment. Transportation Minister Rick McIver will serve as Interim Minister of Municipal Affairs, and my Principal Secretary Larry Kalmeyer will serve as Interim Chief of Staff. So the hammer has come down here. Tracy Allard is out as Municipal Affairs Minister, Jamie Huckabay, uh, and someone who, who Jason Kenney goes pretty far back with, and I'm sure that one stung. To lose him as chief of staff, he has stepped down. These other MLAs who also traveled abroad have lost their committee and parliamentary secretary responsibilities. So the premier has done something. Is it too little, too late? I mean, These are not inconsequential decisions. And I'm sure for those who are affected by these decisions, they're probably uh, none too happy about all of this. But the idea that there would be zero consequence, uh, that that was not sustainable. I think the problem still for the premier here is that the buck stops with him. And that surely he knew uh, that in particular his chief of staff and municipal affairs minister had traveled abroad. Maybe not all of these MLAs. Maybe the premier doesn't have the ability, the wherewithal, to keep track of where his entire caucus is, especially over the Christmas holiday. So is this going to be enough to make this scandal subside? Does this meet what you expected in terms of some kind of consequence, some kind of fallout from this whole scandal? What was it about all of this that had people so upset? What was it about this story to you that that set it apart, I think, from the typical run-of-the-mill, just kind of outrage of the day? Scandals come and go. Outrages come and go. You know, it it seems pretty frequent these days that, uh, you know, someone's calling for some cabinet minister to resign. It's pretty much the go-to for opposition parties. That cabinet minister should resign. He or she is doing a terrible job or that was bad or that was dumb. But this was different. This was different for a lot of reasons. I think the biggest problem for Jason Kenney is that the anger wasn't just coming from the usual suspects. Jason Kenney is not the kind of politician to take a step back. Jason Kenney is not the kind of politician to concede a point from his political opponents. If the NDP are mad, Jason Kenney relishes that. If the NDP are calling in a cabinet minister to resign, there's no way in hell that that cabinet minister is going anywhere. Jason Kenney is a politician. Jason Kenney loves political fights. So if the uh, NDP are mad at him, he's happy with that. You know, if the, the liberals are mad at him, he's happy with that. But this was different. This wasn't just the NDP or liberals who were upset with them. This was a lot of conservatives, true blue conservatives, UCP supporting conservatives, Jason Kenney supporting conservatives who were mad. And that's a big problem for Jason Kenney. There's no political upside to him to having that kind of a fight or telling that that faction of his party or his base uh, to take a hike. So I think that's what prompted this. If this were just the NDP, maybe those on the left, or were not typically UCP supporters, angry about this. And if his party, if his base had rallied around him, nothing would have happened. But I think that's why. This was different. So we've got a lot to talk about here still, but now we've got a, a new development and a big development here. And that Tracy Allard is out as municipal affairs minister, obviously still remains in MLA. Uh, but Jamie Huckabay is out. There's, there's no demoting your chief of staff. Once he resigns, he's gone. And that's what happened. So I think th- there, were, there were separate issues here. I mean, this all falls under the umbrella of traveling abroad over the holidays. The problem for Jamie Huckabay was unique in that he traveled to the United Kingdom. So this wasn't a a, a sunny resort kind of getaway. This was traveling to a COVID hotspot. This was traveling to a part of the world where there are some strict travel restrictions now in place. There's some concerns, obviously, about what we're seeing happening right now in the UK. And this uh, variant is running rampant. Cases are skyrocketing the UK. They're about to go into an even stricter lockdown, apparently as of midnight tonight. They're ramping up their vaccination. To the point where some are questioning whether this is a, 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 a responsible strategy, but there's a sense of desperation at the moment in the UK, given what they're dealing with. So the fact that Jamie Huckabee would travel there, and then in order to get around the travel restrictions that are in place, he flew to the US and then came back into Alberta. It just seemed like really poor judgment. It was specific to what's happening in the UK. Uh, Hawaii is not a, a COVID hotspot. There's, there's no travel restrictions on Hawaii. There's no Hawaii variant that we're worried about. So the controversy for Tracy Allard was a little bit different. It wasn't just that she traveled abroad over the holidays. Here's what, what stands out to me about her situation. Now, first of all, and I think it applies to a lot of these politicians, it would be a luxury indeed to have a job that paid six figures, To have a job where you've got the flexibility not just to go on a vacation, but then to have the flexibility when you come back to quarantine. You're not missing anything. And in fact, in most cases, or under normal circumstances, no one would even notice that you're gone. So that would be nice. Most Albertans don't have that luxury. For a lot of Alberta families right now, they're struggling. The option of jetting off to Hawaii at Christmas is just not an option. So there's a disconnect right out of the gate. Even for people who could afford a vacation right now. You know, they're working day to day and trying to keep their business going. Or doctors and nurses who are working uh, extra shifts just to try to keep up with everything they're dealing with in hospital. Or people who just don't have the ability right now to get away from their jobs. Or even if they got some vacation time. The idea that you could take a holiday and then tack on two weeks after that. Because you're going to be stuck at home. It's not an option. So again, there's that disconnect. But here is the bigger problem for Tracy Allard. As municipal affairs minister, she has responsibility for emergency management. Her deputy minister is the chair of the vaccine task force. The vaccine rollout in Alberta has not gone smoothly. And we expect it to get on track. We expect the Alberta government to start to, to pick up the pace here. Right? So we've entrusted them to help get us out of this mess. Not only are they the ones that have put health restrictions in place, like the don't travel out of the country and like the don't see your family at Christmas. They're the ones who put these rules in place and they're the ones that we're entrusting to fix this whole mess so that we can see our families, so that we can go on vacation. So anybody even remotely connected to the vaccine rollout, that you would see this as downtime that would, you would see this as a moment where, yeah, maybe I can sneak in a vacation. That was unacceptable. And of course, the whole question, and this applies then to anybody that's in government, whether in cabinet or in the government caucus. Because even if Albertans had the financial means, had the flexibility with their job to go to a, a sunny destination over Christmas... Spend time with family there, come home, isolate for two weeks. Uh, Many Albertans opted not to, on principle. When you go to the Alberta government website, and it says that non-essential travel out of the country is not recommended at this time, people take that seriously. And people heeded that advice. Even if their instinct was to take off somewhere, they heeded that advice. Just like we heeded the advice to stick to our households over the Christmas break, to not see family over the Christmas break. That's quite a sacrifice you're asking of Albertans because this time of year is all about family gatherings. So to ask Albertans to forego that is a big ask. So when you have somebody who, A, has some responsibility uh, for the vaccine rollout, somebody who's in a position of power, somebody who's in government as a cabinet minister, somebody who's been involved in making all of these rules, to not just leave the country at such a crucial moment, but to do so so that she could spend time with family just felt like an additional slap in the face. So that's why Tracy Allard's position, I think, was so untenable and why she became kind of the flashpoint for this story. So she is now out as a municipal affairs minister, as mentioned. These other MLAs who traveled, uh, some to Hawaii, some to Mexico, some to the United States, have lost their committee responsibilities. Uh, A couple of uh, these MLAs were parliamentary secretaries, sort of second-tier cabinet ministers. They're out from those responsibilities as well, and Jamie Huckabee is out as chief of staff. So I want to hear from you from this. I'm seeing all kinds of texts come in here. We'll get to the phones as well. 403-974-8255. My name is Rob Breckenridge. This is Afternoons on 770 CHQR. All right, welcome to this hour of the program. Rob Reckenridge with you on what's turning into an eventful Monday afternoon. So certainly uh, the tone in this uh, announcement via social media from the premier, much different than what we heard from the premier on Friday. It was uh, some disappointment from Jason Kenney on Friday, but that was pretty much the extent of it. There were going to be no resignations. There was going to be no additional fallout. no additional consequences. Uh, For those individuals, cabinet ministers, chiefs of staff, um, MLAs, there was a few press secretaries, for anybody who had traveled abroad. That he should have been clear in in discouraging that and there were going to be new rules going forward. So fast forward to today, and now the premier has taken a much different approach. And I think what we heard over the last few days has indicated to him that people are angry. And in particular, people he needs to count on for support are angry. So it's one thing to brush off anger from the NDP or NDP supporters. It's quite another to be dealing with angry conservatives. And look, Jason Kenney's uh, an influential politician, carries a lot of weight, but he's not invincible. And I think he realizes that uh, he needs to pay attention when his base is upset we've seen conservative vote fracture before and it could happen again well joining us uh, for some further insight on all of this and uh, Patrick my screen is just frozen up here so if you could put the guest on the air that would be great Janet Brown is a a pollster and political commentator uh, here in Alberta Janet Brown Don CA Uh, let's see Janet you there
0: I'm here, yes. hi, There we go.
2: Perfect. Thank you so much for joining us here. Appreciate this. So uh, we get this announcement uh, about half an hour ago from from the Premier. What do you make of uh, the the 180 he's done here over the last few days?
0: Yes. Well, it's a a strong announcement, and uh, we were hearing rumors that Minister Allard would be removed from her from her position, but it went further than that. So, you know, it was a very strong statement from the Premier, but it feels like the kind of statement he probably should have issued on New Year's Day. So um, I think it will probably um, turn the temperature down a little bit for him, um, but there are going to be some people who will find this to be, you know, too little too late.
2: I I think you're right. And I mean, it's surprising in a way. I mean, Premier Kenny has, um, you know, Pretty good political radar, pretty good political intuition, pretty good political instincts. Uh, you know, he's been in politics a long time. That that he didn't see this coming, or he didn't foresee the the extent to which this was going to upset people. Were, were you surprised by that?
0: Well, you know, one of the strategies the premier always sort of puts into play is whenever there's a controversy, he just ignores it. He just rides it out. Um, you know, this isn't the first time he's been called upon to fire senior staff or fire a minister, but he always just puts mm-hmm. his head down and thinks, I'm going to ride this out. So I think his instincts failed him this time when he didn't realize he couldn't just ride this out. And, you know, and, and all of their political instincts failed them when they just... Um, you know lost the ability to sympathize with the average Albertan and what they were going through you know Ralph Klein used to call it dome disease that you know if you spend too much time in Edmonton particularly under the dome of the legislature that you can find yourself out of touch with you know the plight of the average person and i think this is just a textbook example of um, you know the people who traveled being out of touch with what you know their constituents were going through and and on friday i think the premier was showing that sort of you know he was out of touch about how seriously this is going to, um, you know, affect uh, people's views of him.
2: Yeah, Kenny's a a political fighter. He he likes, you know, mixing it up. And and so when, you know, what's the NDP calling for uh, a minister to resign? Uh, or the NDP's mad at him about something, he relishes that. He's not going to concede any ground, and, and so he, he, he loves that, that kind of uh, political combat. But this became something much bigger. This wasn't just uh, you know Rachel Notley and her caucus upset about something. This was run-of-the-mill, average Albertans who were upset. This was, in a lot of cases, if you want to put a political label on it, uh, a lot of conservatives, uh, a lot of populists uh, that were very upset about this. The kind of people that Jason Kenney can't afford to pick a political fight with. Do you, do you think that was the difference maker here?
0: Well, one of the same things we've seen from Jason Kenney over the last few years is, like, he's almost impervious to criticism from the left, right? People from mm-hmm. the, the NDP criticize him, and it just rolls right off of him. But on the other hand, he seems to be quite sensitive to criticism from the right and you know the funny thing about this issue is you were is there was so much unity on this issue regardless of what side of the political spectrum you were on and so um, you know I think Jason Kenney wasn't sweating about what he was hearing from NDP supporters, but he was sweating about what he was hearing from, you know, hardcore conservatives. Uh, Dave Rutherford issued a strong statement. Um, Richard Stark, he was on Jesperson this morning, a former uh, cabinet minister making some very strong statements. Um, you know, Rick Bell uh, from the Calgary Sun, somebody who is usually quite far- favorable towards this government, um, just was all guns blazing at the news conference on Friday when he asked his question, and he said he was, God-smacked by the decision. So I think those criticisms are, are, are what were ringing in uh, Kenny's ears when he issued this uh, press release. I have to say, though... Um, One of the reasons I was surprised on Friday, I wasn't surprised that Jason Kenney was going to refuse to fire people because he's done that before. Mm -hmm. I couldn't wrap my mind around why he bothered to have a news conference to say he basically wasn't doing anything. Um, That just seemed really funny. And now, now that he's taken a significant step, he just issues a press release and he he doesn't have a news conference. He doesn't go to the media. So I'm still scratching my head over that.
2: Yeah, it was strange. Um, and we we'll take a step back and look at this, and I, I think there's there's the double standard that that irked a lot of people, or the idea that you know do as as we say, not as we do. Um, I, I think you know. there's, in the case of the, the municipal affairs minister, the connection to the um, less than, than fantastic vaccine rollout and the idea that anybody connected to that would, would be taking time off right now. I think there are a lot of reasons why this resonated, but what's your sense of why this became so much bigger than the, uh, you know, the outrage of the day?
0: Well, um, you know, you're right about the outrage of the day. Every day reporters ask me, oh, is this thing going to make a difference? And it very rarely does make a difference. But, you know, and, and we've been drawing a lot of comparison, you know, people on Twitter and in the media, drawing comparisons between this and when Jen Prentice told people to look in the mirror and when, you know, Alison Redford was caught up in the Sky Palace. But what's different about this is... This is not just a political controversy. This is laid over top of a public health care crisis. And, um, you know, that's what really sort of takes it to another level. Um, The other thing is it is funny how sometimes politicians can more easily survive scandals that involve billions of dollars than they can these smaller, simpler things. Like you said, it's really easy to understand. There were rules. I followed them you didn't. Um, And also, people have such a strong visceral reaction to this. Um, I was thinking back to sort of the Clinton administration, and almost every day during the Clinton administration, um, he was facing a controversy called Whitewater. And, you know, I'm a political animal, and I would be hard-pressed to remember exactly the details of Whitewater, but everybody remembers Monica Lewinsky right and that 's what this issue is it 's very easy to remember it It strikes people in a very emotional way, and it 's layered on top of this huge public health crisis.
2: well, it comes on the heels of what what seems like it 's been a, a pattern of of some some other bad poll numbers, Sir Jason Kenney recently, or at least more specifically is handling this pandemic and you know I think this this is kind of a you know microcosm of some of those broader issues where you know, he's he's managed to, I think, upset all sides here that when it comes to the pandemic response, a lot of people unhappy that the premier hasn't done enough. And, and then you got a faction that are unhappy that he's he's done too much. I think this is another example where he's kind of got everybody mad at him. I mean, in a broader sense, Janet, and, and you're plugged into, you know, public sentiment. I mean, how how real is this? How, you know, the next election's not for for a few years yet still. But how, how worried should Jason Kenney be about his political fortune?
0: Well, you know, it's hard to say, and, and what, what happened in the last hour was a big step, and I think everybody's got to absorb that, and we'll see how much that turns the temperature down. But, you know, two years down the road, it's, it's impossible to, you know, yeah. um, predict an election. I mean, I do the same kind of polling that everybody else does. If an election were held today, how would you vote? But that's a very hypothetical question when you're two years away from an election campaign. Um, you know the the news release that the premier just issued probably makes it um, a little easier to get reelected in um, in 2023. But um, you know the events of the last few days have definitely made it harder for him to get reelected. So you know what the long term effects are. I, I, I don't know. I've been saying for quite some time. I don't believe the 2023 election is going to be about COVID, but it is going to be about the economic recovery from COVID. And so. Um, you know, this there's a, there's a big loss of trust in the short term right now. Um, but once the vaccines, you know, hopefully start getting rolling out and hopefully start working, um, you know, I, I think by 2023, we're going to be looking for, again, the premier we think that can stimulate the economy.
2: All right, we'll leave it there. Janet, appreciate the insight as always. Thanks so much for joining us here this Thank afternoon. You. Thank you very much. Much appreciated. That is uh, pollster commentator Janet Brown, uh, Brown JanetBrown.ca. So her thoughts on what made this such a mess for the premier and and why he had to change course. It is odd. I mean, in in the grand scheme of things, maybe it's, it's not a big deal, but it is strange that the premier would hold a press conference on Friday and not really announce anything and then put out a press release today. I mean, if he wasn't inclined to punish anybody on Friday, probably a, a press release would have sufficed. Maybe this is the kind of thing that he should have got out in front of the microphones today and talked about. All right, welcome back. Rob Breckenridge, with you here. Monday afternoon, 403 974 talk And yeah, I mean, it feels like a lot happened between Thursday, when I was last on the air, filling in for Danielle, and then today. And uh, not the least of which was this this whole uh, big political scandal, because uh, I think it was Thursday even last week, we were actually talking about Ontario and their finance minister and how he was in hot water over his trip down to St. Bart's. And yeah, look, I mean, you know, Doug Ford, I suppose, was a little more decisive in dealing with it. I mean, Doug Ford has had his issues, but um, I think it was Sammy, one of the callers pointed out that, you know, Doug Ford, at least in terms of poll numbers, um, seems to be doing a lot better than Jason Kenney right now. I wonder why that is. Uh, but certainly some difference in how this was handled, but some similarities in terms of the um, the scandal itself. Now, the other big thing that happened, and we'll, we'll get to some of this news coming up after 2 o'clock, because it was a real heartbreaker uh, for Calgarians. And in fact, a story that resonated with people right across the country, the death on New Year's Eve of a Calgary police officer. You know, one of the, the real good ones, too, right? And unfortunately, the nature of our business, and, and we talk about police officers, it's often in connection with some kind of a, a controversy, you know, some video that's emerged or a rough arrest or, you know, ticketing people at, a, at an ice rink. Um, but, but, you know, by all accounts, I mean, you know, this was one of the good ones. who was in policing for the right reasons. It was really devoted to making the city a better place, Someone who was on the verge of becoming a father, which makes it even more heartbreaking. And uh, manhunt for two young individuals wanted in connection with his death. They eventually turned themselves in, a court appearance today. So uh, we'll get to some of the news on on that. uh, A few of the things we'll get to today, but obviously the big political story has uh, been this whole Holiday Gate scandal. And uh, how the premier has handled all of this, how his uh, MLAs and cabinet and senior staff handled all of this. And maybe, you know, it does fall to the premier. He had to know that there were going to be some um, cabinet ministers, caucus members, senior staff that were going to be traveling. And he had to know that this could potentially be an issue. So why didn't he have that conversation before? Why didn't he make it clear? Or did he? And that's the other problem for Jason Kenney here, is where's the responsibility for him? Where's the accountability for him? If uh, Jamie Huckabee is chief of staff, somebody who was crucial to the premier, said, Jason, um, you know, I'll have my phone with me, but obviously I'm going to be seven hours ahead. I'm, I'm heading off to the UK to visit some family there. So just so you know. And look, obviously, I'm I'm almost 100% sure that something like that happened. There's there's no way that Jason Kenney didn't know that his chief of staff was leaving the country. What was his reaction? Maybe you shouldn't go. I'd prefer if you didn't. Have a good time. What was that conversation? So how much did Jason Kenney know? And how much did he imply or even outright sign off on, on some of these trips? So if he's going to now punish these individuals if he was okay with it at the time that that's not a good look for him so how did he handle this going into christmas all right let's get back to the phones more time for your calls this is uh well this is jason
1: jason go ahead coincidentally not that jason yes
2: okay good to know uh
1: you know this is a really tough one that i'm conflicted on uh you know we as Canadians want our rights and freedoms, and certain restrictions have been in place. The ability for them to travel outside of the country really didn't shouldn't play in on the decision-making, although there is, yes, do what I do, not as I say, or do as I say, not as I do, mm-hmm. uh, is applicable in this situation. But as long as they come back, isolate for the right amount of period, no taxpayers' monies were used in the purchasing of said tickets or hotels, They were within their freedoms of Canadian as as Canadians, within the freedoms and rights that they have to travel out of the country, as long as they're here. And I mean, this is where what is right and what is wrong really does come into a factor, because it's a gray area. And I know people are very angry. And as a politician, it really doesn't matter what you do. You're going to have people hate you and people love you.
2: Well, that's true. But I I think what's different here is that there there are a lot of people who are not inclined to hate the UCP, who who are are quite supportive of the UCP, who are very upset about this. So I don't think that's a case of them having a political axe to grind. I I think it's a case of them really feeling like a lot of this is is a slap in the face.
1: But everyone had the same right if they wanted to travel out of the country, as long as they follow the isolation rules. The, the, The Calgary Airport is open. It's not closed for business.
2: Right, and and no one has suggested otherwise. No one has suggested that that these MLAs broke any rules. No no one has suggested that they broke any laws. It it, it is, in part, A, the the perception of this is what Albertans are being told they should do and what these MLAs or cabinet ministers are doing. And it says right there on the Alberta government website, avoid non-essential travel outside Canada until further notice. If that needs to be tweaked or amended then they should do so. If they're content to leave that there, they should be leading by example then. You know, and, and it even goes back, and someone posted the, the video from from Kenny in the summer when he was encouraging people to have a staycation. You know, instead of going away this summer out of the country, why don't you go out and experience everything Alberta has to offer? Right? Even that would have been leading by example, to say, you know what, it's Christmas, we're going to get away, I'm going to go to Jasper for a few days, I'm going to go to Banff for a few days, I'm going I'm going to, you know see, uh, you know, some other parts of this province, Um, you know, maybe even that would have would have been a better sell than what they ended up
1: doing. Then the UCP needs to have more clarity and less fear. If something is forbidden, say it's forbidden. Don't skirt around non-essential or to avoid something. Do not do this unless it's an emergency or required for some specific reason. Uh, this is where I think that gray area happens where you can get into this situation where there is confusion on what's right, what's wrong. And they didn't break any laws, but they just created disappointment.
2: Yeah. uh, Yeah, exactly. I think that's, that's part of why this became an issue for them is, you know, people feel like they're confused by this whole thing. And look again, and we're going to talk later on about some of the rules that have changed. So for returning travelers, uh, Coming up, I think in a few days, it's going to take effect. People will need to show a negative COVID test before they're able to return to Canada. So that, that implies, obviously, that there are people who, who are going outside the country for whatever reason. And, and look, the reasons can vary. And, and I get that maybe in certain circumstances, we should view uh, a trip differently, depending on what the reasons for it are. And, and I would draw a distinction. I mean, there was, for example, Sonia Savage, the energy minister, was in B.C., I think she'd gone out to, to uh, look after her. Maybe she has a summer home or some property out there. So I, I wouldn't include that in this whole controversy. Uh, Matt Wolfe, who's the Premier's Director of Issues Management, he went to Saskatchewan to, to visit his parents at Christmas. And Saskatchewan has similar rules right now to Alberta in terms of gatherings and those who live alone. And so, again, it's a case where some were kind of lumping his travel in with these others. I, I would differentiate that. But yeah, I think the problem right now is when you say avoid non-essential travel outside Canada until further notice. It's not a hard and fast rule. But I think it would certainly set a tone if at least those in government abided by that. That we're going to lead by example. So that people don't have that amount of confusion about whether it's okay. You can't prevent people from traveling, or at least we haven't attempted to at this point, And it's not illegal to travel outside of the country. And yes, there are rules you have to follow. But I think that's where there's some disconnect here as I said at the outset. It would be nice to have a job that pays six figures, which these MLAs all do, in the case of cabinet ministers or the premier's chief of staff, you know, a considerable amount of money. So you've got the the financial flexibility to decide that yeah, Hawaii at Christmas time, which is not cheap, but that's doable but that's not the case for a lot of Alberta families. So I think there's, there's a disconnect there that we start to see these politicians as a little more elitist. And on top of that, the ability to come home and, and isolate for 14 days. If you run a small business and you gotta be there to ensure that everything functions, Maybe you have the ability to get away for a little vacation. You probably don't have the ability to stay home for two weeks after the fact. You know, if you're a doctor or a nurse, I mean, forget about it. You know, you can't go anywhere right now. And certainly we, we wouldn't want doctors or nurses to be leaving the country now. And certainly we wouldn't want to have a whole bunch of them isolating for two weeks. So there's a lot of people for whom this is not realistic. Yet the politicians who were paid by us, who have the financial wherewithal uh, to jet off to Hawaii or, or a sunny winter destination, who have the flexibility to just come home and stay home for two weeks. And in a lot of cases, and you know, maybe if this hadn't blown into a scandal, nobody would even know. <laughs> nobody would even know. How many of us have that luxury where you could sneak out of the country Come home and be in isolation and have nobody be the wiser. Now, look, I get that politics is not an easy job and you have to run every four years to try to keep your job. But I think you should also, if you're in this position, especially if you're in cabinet, appreciate all of those kinds of perks that come with it and not rub it in people's faces. So I think that's why at some level this resonated. In the case of the municipal affairs minister, as I say, I think uh, if you're at all connected to the vaccine rollout, which has not gone well, now's not the time to be leaving the country. You need to be involved. We need all hands on deck. Anybody who's even remotely connected to the vaccine rollout should be doing everything they can to get this on track. All right, welcome to this hour of the program. Rob Ridge with you on a Monday afternoon. You can reach us here, 403-974-TALK. That's 974-8255. Uh, coming up, we are going to talk a bit more about international travel, and we're going to hear from the National Airlines Council, and maybe I'm, I'm, you know we'll find out what kind of an impact all of these controversies are, are having on international travel. But um, one of the stories from last week I did want to find out more about Because it just seemed to come out of nowhere and a lot of confusion about how this is all going to work that anybody who is outside the country before you return, you need to have a negative COVID test within three days of your return flight in order to return to Canada. Now, how is all of this going to work? Travelers themselves going to be responsible for this or the airlines going to have to bear some responsibility? What, What are airlines supposed to do if somebody shows up for the return flight home and they haven't done this yet? I mean, the government can't, I don't think, <laughs> legally bar Canadians from re-entering the country. I mean, we do have some constitutional rights. But anyway, we'll try to get some more clarity on all of that uh, coming up uh, in about an hour. So some more time to talk about this, this whole controversy. And look, here's the thing. Um, you know, I had not had an opportunity to, to say anything about this uh, before 1230 today. Uh, I did write a column about all of this uh, that I was working on primarily yesterday that will be in the uh, Calgary Herald tomorrow. But I haven't really been on social media. I haven't posted anything about this. So I was just watching all of this unfold. I I was kind of more of a a witness than a participant to to this whole outrage. I mean, I certainly had my thoughts, but I haven't really had an opportunity to express them before uh, 1230 today. So this is not about me, certainly, and I don't even think this is really about the media. The reason why this became a big scandal is because a lot of people were mad about it. The reason the premier acted is because people were mad. And not, you know, the partisans who were just out to get the premier. This is about those that would normally support him. So I got this text here. It says, Rob, Rob, Rob. It wouldn't be a big scandal, except for you making it. You can build all the straw men you like and then tear them down, but this just isn't the scandal you were so outraged by. Look, here's the thing anybody can be outraged by anything. So if this person is outraged by the things I've said, then so be it. That's that person's opinion. If I'm outraged by this whole thing, then so be it. That's my opinion. So it's not as though people get together and decide collectively that something's going to be a scandal. It becomes a scandal because a whole bunch of individuals at an individual level are upset about something. Enough so that the politicians can't afford to ignore it at all. Trust me, the politicians don't really give a damn what I have to say. If I come on the air and I say I'm mad at Jason Kenney about something and I'm the only one saying it, guess what? (laughs) Nothing's going to happen. Uh, conversely, if uh, I had just uh, you know, phoned in sick today and played a rerun of the program, this would be the same level of scandal as it was before. Nothing would change. So I haven't made this a scandal by any stretch. Uh, this became a scandal because a lot of people heard about it, read about it, talked about it, and decided for themselves that this was unacceptable. And again... If this were just the, the regular suspects, the usual suspects, who get mad at Kenny for everything, this wouldn't be this wouldn't be a scandal either. This certainly would have prompt would not have prompted the Premier to do what he did today. Uh he doesn't mind at all when the NDP are mad at him. He doesn't mind at all when the NDP demand this cabinet minister resign or that cabinet minister resign. He relishes that. But when his own base are upset when conservatives are upset when his supporters are upset when he starts hearing things like i've always supported the ucp but he's got a problem and to suggest that those people who are probably skeptical of the media at the best of times have been manipulated by people like me into thinking that way is pretty insulting i think albertans are smart enough to come to their own conclusions on this not everybody agrees mind you And look, if if you want to give the government a pass, if you don't think this is a big deal, that's fine. right? Uh, That's your opinion, and you're entitled to it. You might be in the minority on this one. And trust me, I know what that's like. I'm in the minority on a lot of issues. And that's fine. I'm okay with that. I realize that not everybody's going to agree with me a lot of the time. But this is certainly not a manufactured scandal. Let's put it that way. People are upset, and I think they have good reason to be. All right, let's go back to the phones, 974-8255. This is Richard. Richard, welcome to the program.
1: Happy New Year. To you as well, uh, sir. Let me pass this thought by your, your listeners and you. I believe that all politicians, federal, provincial, municipal, and all the people that work for the government, which is the people, their, their wages should be geared to something. Like, let's say... The average wage in Canada, if it's $40,000, they should be making $40,000 or tied to the GDP. GDP goes up, their wages go up, GDP goes down, their wages go down. But they're all overpaid, and they obviously think that they're the elite. All you've got to do is watch the news with all these politicians. They think they live in another world. They definitely don't live in the restaurant owner's world, that's for sure. What do you think of that, Rob?
2: Uh, I get the, I get the impulse. I, I don't know how workable that would be, Marie. I appreciate the call. I mean, or sorry, now I just hung up <laughs> looking at a different line. Um, yeah, Richard, I think it was. Yeah. Um, thanks, Patrick. Look, the idea that we, we tie MLA pay to those kinds of uh, metrics, I don't know. I mean, we do have sort of a built-in, I think, uh, you know, tied to the cost of living inflation all those things so the mla salaries do get adjusted I, but going beyond that i'm not sure i'm not sure how that would work and you know when you have scandal or controversy do you can you somehow link mla pay to that i i don't know but it, yeah there's that frustration that they are very well paid and, and maybe at some level you have to pay politicians relatively well in order, I guess, to attract good people, theoretically. But just the perception maybe that people are taking advantage of that is, is what's so uh, grating about this. Anyway, this is uh, Murray. Murray, go ahead.
1: Hi. I just wanted to say, if we're just expecting our politicians to do what's right and what's legal and not break the rules, I think that we've really digressed as a society that we expect the bare minimum. Why don't we expect what's morally and ethically right of people, especially mm. our politicians? I just think that bar is way too low.
2: Yeah, I, I agree 100 percent with that. Yeah, you're right. I think if if we're resorting to, well, they didn't break the law, we got a problem. And yes, look, and if you want to bring it up, sure. We've we, we can play the game of whataboutism. We've definitely seen the Trudeau loyalists and the liberal partisans do that. The SNC-Lavalin scandal uh is a great example of that. You know, and trying to to well, I don't think Trudeau did anything illegal. I don't think he broke the law, which well, a, it was maybe debatable. Um, but B, it's kind of beside the point, right? It's, it's about ethics. It's about setting standards. It's not just about doing the bare minimum or using I didn't break the law as your guideline. So, no, we, we, we should be better than that. And that shouldn't be the standard we judge our politicians by. Uh, let's see here. This is uh, Chad. Chad, welcome to the program. Hey, Rob, how
1: are you? Doing very well, sir. I think I called at a perfect time because, you know what, I uh, only ever voted Wild Rose. And then after the Wild Rose, of course, I voted UCP. And I'm absolutely pissed about what went on with uh, Kenny's MPs and his chief of staff. And how could you not know that your chief of staff was out and out in the U.K.? And I get it, everybody got mad and and he changed his mind, but that's not what he initially said. He initially forgave it and acted as if it was no big deal. And it's really bother it's good that he's listening to me. Well,
2: Chad I think we're losing you there. Um but yeah, I mean this this is the part of the scandal that comes back to the Premier. It's one thing to punish those who traveled, but you know, what did he know? What did he say at the time? Did he not see this as, as a possibility? Did he not put down any kind of rules or guidelines? Because look, and, and in fairness to the rest of his caucus, and, and I'm sure they're frustrated by this, because I think a lot of them were, were smart enough or principled enough to realize that no, this is not a good idea. They they all earn the same amount. All the cabinet ministers earn the same amount, all the MLAs earn the same amount. So, certainly, there were probably many others who could have easily afforded a nice tropical Christmas getaway, but decided that it was probably not a good idea. So, how must they be feeling about all of this? Because I guess, well, prior to today, if there were no consequences, then you may as well have gone. You missed the opportunity. Because the controversy sort of sticks to everybody. And where was the incentive? Where's the reward for doing the right thing? Because I'm sure a lot of those MLAs who did the right thing are probably getting a lot of angry phone calls at their offices because of what their colleagues did. And so how did the premier not foresee any of this? How did he not foresee any of this becoming a problem? You know, we can wonder what these individuals were thinking and the decisions they made about where to travel to